Hey, it's a glorious summer Thursday, and Laura Johnston is back with us on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Laura, as well as Courtney Astolfi and Lisa Garvin. Laura, I hope you had a wonderful time off, and we're glad you're back. I did, thank you. So by the first day of summer, I've crossed off three out of five of the Great Lakes um, on my list, so that feels pretty good. And it was a lovely time. We were in South Haven, Michigan, and it was just beautiful. All right. Well, we got discussions to have. Let's go. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan's name has been absent from the January 6th commission hearings, even though he was a heavy presence in Donald Trump's conversations about overturning the election. Do we expect him to be a presence anytime soon? Laura, I'm kind of surprised. We're four hearings in and we have yet to see his name. Yeah, and we don't really know if and when it'll appear. But we all thought it was going to be there, you know, by if not the first night, definitely after that. We had Sabrina Eaton watching in D.C. to see if his name got dropped because he's he's been a public figure of interest in this for the entirety of the commission. And the committee has provided a timeline of Jordan's meetings, calls and communications with Trump officials. That's pretty clear. They include phone calls with Trump where they're trying to develop a blueprint for the post-election strategy with fringe legal theories and hypothesizing that how Trump could stay in the White House. So we thought he'd play a fairly major role. I think Jordan thought so, too, which is why he refused to comply with the subpoenas. Um, he's called this a partisan witch hunt. But yeah, we're four in. We don't know. And the committee is just saying that they're presenting the facts in a way that they think will be understandable and clear to the American people. And they won't say if Jordan will come up and when. I I think they their strategy is to focus 100 percent on how Donald Trump, the sitting U.S. president, tried to overthrow the government and, and stage a coup. So they're not focusing on anybody else because they want everybody to see that the sitting president did this and present evidence of crimes. So they haven't brought up almost anybody. This is, and they, they, look, this has been kind of a, a strategic windfall for the Democrats. The Republicans made the mistake of not putting anybody on the committee. So they don't know what's going on, and they don't get to say anything in the hearings. And the Democrats have just methodically rolled this out. So far, this has been a tour de force in presenting the people's case against Donald Trump. Absolutely. And I mean, they've been very clear that they were this wasn't going to be a dry report. Right. They have all this incredible footage. They have interviews that have never seen before. And they wanted to make a case directly to the American people. That's why the first one was broadcast prime time. And, and, you know, it was like a special, like everybody tuned in. They have mentioned three Congress members so far. They all hail from swing states where Trump tried to contest the electors. Obviously, that did not happen in Ohio, which he won by eight points. So maybe that's why Jordan isn't coming up. And while they've said seven since the very beginning, now they're saying they may add additional planning or public meetings as as this unfolds. Yeah, I think the the Jenny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, the revelations about what she was doing has has probably pushed that forward. The other thing that's fascinating about this is the testimony is largely by Republicans, not Democrats. So while there's no Republicans except for the the, the, the Cheney uh, uh, on the committee, uh, there's nobody from the Trump camp on the committee talking from the table. It's all Republicans now that are testifying about Donald Trump's efforts to pretty much destroy our government. It's it's just been an amazing 
uh, set of hearings, and I I can't wait to see where it goes. But man, the Republicans really made a strategic error not putting something somebody on that committee. Well, because they, you know, Jordan wanted to be on the committee, right? Am I making? Am I? Yeah, yeah he did. and they said no right. way. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. Exactly. So they said, no way, you're going to be a part of it. And then they were like, we're going to take our ball and go home. Right. But man, that was dumb. That was a really dumb move. And so they don't know what's coming because they haven't been on the committee. They they don't have anybody that can speak at the table. And so it's just, you know, it's been a very honest, I think, telling of what happened. Anyway, I do expect Jim Jordan will come up somehow. They are going to put out a massive report. And so maybe he'll be prominently featured do, there. I do want to see how this is if it is changing people's perception like I think that'll be interesting to and not that polling is you know be all end all but that's the idea right to persuade people yeah there's still people out there that that say Trump won the election even though there is not a single shred of evidence it's sad that a species that could put a person on the moon has members of it that refuse to look at facts and draw the only conclusion you can draw. It's like they're part of a club and they don't want the facts and they don't want to hear it. So I don't think you're going to change their minds no matter what is presented here. It's today in Ohio. President Joe Biden wants a gas tax holiday to help inflation-weary Americans. Is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine likely to agree to the request? And Lisa, Mike DeWine's statement that this would only be cents on the dollar, that's kind of hooey. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I think the the eight ball, the magic eight ball, says all signs point to no. But uh, DeWine <laughs> spokesman uh, Dan Tierney took a shot across the bow at President Biden. He said that the Biden administration is to blame for these tax, you know, these gas ta- gas prices and because he restricted fossil fuels and he didn't expand refining and distribution. So I think that that's kind of signaling where they're going to go. But yes, Tierney also said that the gas tax is just pennies on the dollar compared to the price increase of gas, and they want to see how it affects highway maintenance and construction projects. Now, uh, DeWine's Democratic challenger, Nan Whaley, says she wants a six-month holiday. Biden is promoting, I'm sorry, Biden is proposing a three-month holiday. So what what this means is they want to expend, suspend the federal tax, which is 18.4 cents per gallon for regular gas, 24.4 cents per gallon for diesel for three months. They're asking states to do the same thing. In Ohio, the gas tax is 38.5 cents per gallon, 47 cents for diesel. And that got hiked in uh, 2019. Both of them previously were 28 cents. So that got a hike in 2018. So the tax split will be between the state and local governments. And the Ohio tax raised 2.4 billion last year. Yeah, I mean, Mike DeWine is on the record having pushed back against the Republicans in the legislature when they proposed this earlier this year. So I don't think he's playing politics. He's looking at the needs of Ohio infrastructure. But I do question the idea it's pennies on the dollar. If you add up the state and federal tax, it's like 55 cents, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not an insignificant cut given that the price of gas is five bucks. I mean, that's 10 percent. But drop. then three months later, you're back to where you were. And some Democrats have been previously skeptical of tax suspension, saying, are the savings really passed on to consumers? We don't know that. I mean, you know, we're talking about oil and gas companies now that are making like obscene profits in the first quarter of this year. So I don't know. 
Yeah, the way to deal with that is to create some windfall uh, taxes when when they do the obscene profits. Uh, but but I, Mike DeWine fought for that tax increase because he knows that our infrastructure is deteriorating. Our roads and bridges need the money. And I think he's worried legitimately that if we cut that faucet off, what does that mean? I mean do we have a bridge fall in? I mean, it's kind of a serious problem so if he sticks to his guns at least he could say it's not politics because mm-hmm. the republicans were the first to propose this and he rejected them it's one of the few times we can talk about mike devine and say he's not playing politics it's today in ohio are fireworks going to be legal or illegal in cleveland this summer courtney there was a thought that cleveland city council was rushing to pass some bill and didn't get it done so that they might be legal but you say no Yeah, according to the city, even without that legislation that council was considering earlier this year, it didn't move anywhere. But even without that, fireworks, setting them off as an average person in Cleveland can't do it, the city says. You know, that's coming from both the administration of Justin Bibb and city council. They say that this ban has been on Cleveland books for for a long time, and that ban is necessary if you're a city that doesn't want fireworks with this new Ohio state law that takes that goes into effect this 4th of July weekend, you know, folks can set them off unless you're in a municipality or township that has a ban in place. We've seen a lot of suburbs moving to take up those bans to keep fireworks illegal with this upcoming date. But Cleveland says it it doesn't need to do that. It already has one on the books. So fireworks will be illegal and you can't set them off in the city. Yeah, but your story points out that it doesn't matter. The police really can't stop it. And anybody who lives in uh, Cleveland and its suburbs knows that sometime middle of next week, the fireworks begin and they pretty much go for a week. Right. So what what do you do? Everyone knows that the, the police can't, can't logically run to every fireworks call and cite people. That's unwieldy. We're short-staffed. There's violent crime. So... What is the point of a ban? And so city council, in exploring this legislation that, that's still pending and, and could still move through later, they wanted to see if there were ways to maybe give firefighters and the fire marshal some, some more beefed up enforcement ability here to take the load off police and, you know, some other changes. But it's really hard to fathom a possibility where a ban really does anything. People are going to set them off, right? right. So. Council members were concerned about big displays in parks where people looks like they're spending a few thousand dollars and and leaving lots of trash and doing damage. Okay, so that's a public-minded improvement around enforcement we might want to look at, but really, what can you do? Yeah, I I just the kids play with fireworks. They have since I was a kid. I I just don't think you can stop it. And you see the big displays, and that was something that we didn't have when I was a kid. Almost professional level fireworks but they're they're over the neighborhoods you see it all the time and trying to police it is nearly impossible i thought it was interesting that councilman councilwoman house said they're going to do it anyway should we be moving more in a direction where we steer it so that it causes the least amount of disruption that's an interesting approach I really thought so, too. That stuck out to me. I don't know how much steam that has and and whether there's enough folks out there that agree with Councilwoman House. But, yeah, if this is something that can't be enforced, if this is something people are going to do, why not help them out? I mean, isn't that 
serving your residents who, who, who want to do a certain thing was kind of the councilwoman's point. And I, she seems to raise kind of those practical points like that. So I thought it was very interesting. You know, I mean, what if you picked four or five parks in the city and said, OK, you can come here. You could set off fireworks. We'll have firefighters on hand to watch and make sure you're not endangering anybody. But have at it. And then people that want to do this and not break the law, at least, might show up and do it that way. She's she's really proving to be a, uh, a unique voice on the council. It'd be interesting to see how how far that goes, because you haven't heard that kind of a innovative approach before. And maybe it's a terrible idea. And then people who live near those parks might scream, especially if they have dogs that alert to it. But at least she's thinking the people are going to do it anyway. It's like prohibition, right? People were drinking anyway. Maybe we should figure this out. Yeah. yeah. We'll, well, maybe we'll see this fall when they're back at work because they're pretty <laughs> much off for the summer. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The U.S. Department of Labor cited Timken Steel for a death, not something that happens every day. Laura, it looks like they've got a history of some pretty serious violations and are finally getting slapped for it. What happened? Yeah, this is really sad. A 65-year-old worker died on December 27th when he was operating this machine at Timken um, at the finishing facility in Canton. It produces seamless mechanical steel tubing. He got caught on a piece of steel bar stock rotating at high speed. The really sad thing about it is the company knew this was a problem. They gave employees hooks to manipulate the spinning steel bar that weren't long enough. They required the operator's hands to be in the danger zone when guiding the steel into the machine. And they had modified similar machinery by adding a mechanical feed roll that eliminated this need to touch this, but it canceled the plan to modify the machine involved in the fatal incident. Now, I don't know why they canceled this plan, but you have to think it might have something to do with the cost of it. Uh, but they've already had two serious violations at Timpkin Skeel involving a lack of guarding on horizontal drive shafts and walking working surfaces. That means workers could slip and fall on hazards from oil, coolant, leaks, and spills. So now they're getting slapped with this $315,000 fine, which is a lot of money, but, I mean, somebody died. Well, I imagine there's a civil suit, too, over that that could cost yeah. them a good bit more. But, yeah, we haven't seen the government really slapping around business in years now the osha has been overworked and understaffed so for them to actually file something like this is a pretty big statement these days yeah and now they want to be timkin to be part of the severe violator enforcement program because they basically haven't heeded the calls in the past to fix up their uh employee um safety measures you'd think if you've gotten smacked with two of these in the past you'd be extra careful to make sure no one's getting hurt but it, it does seem really irresponsible of course timkin did comment in this story and said that they their worker safety is their highest priority but it's one thing to say that it's another thing for your actions to speak yeah, the proof is what you do you're listening to today in ohio has ohio state university actually trademarked the word the as in the o the ohio state university lisa this is one of the dumbest things i've ever heard of but tell us what's it what's going and on and it made national news i mean it's over all the papers on all the websites yesterday and this morning so on tuesday the u.s patent and trademark office issued an official registered trademark for the word the 
that Ohio State University can use on their clothing and other branded products that are related to their athletic and collegiate programs. They first filed for this trademark back in 2019 after fashion designer Mark Jacobs also did. He wanted to use the word the on his handbags and some of his other fashion products. Both of those requests were denied. Ohio State's request was denied because they considered the word the ornamental. So this kind of, this whole legal thing kind of revolved around whether the word the is an ornamental word. So the two parties, Ohio State and Mark Jacobs, reached an agreement last year to use it in their own separate markets. Just FYI, the word the can be either upper or lowercase as part of this trademark, and it's now part of OSU's official name and actually has been since the 80s, apparently. Trademark and licensing brings in about $12.5 million a year for The Ohio State University. So I guess this means we need to go through all the stories on our website and remove all the, the examples of the word the? Remove. <laughs> I mean, unless we're starting to sell shirts that say thecleveland.com. Oh, wait, but the plain dealer. I don't know how that's going to well, affect it. The plain dealer. That's I know. the way we refer to it. I know, but it. we're not just going to put, you know, we're not just going to start say, calling ourselves the. I mean, we call ourselves the PD. And when I worked for yeah. the University of Texas, you know, they were very insistent that the was part of the name. So everything we had to do, had, although they didn't chase a trademark for it. But, yeah, they were very finicky about using that the. Seems like an abuse of the trademark system. This is not what it was supposed to be about. The word the is one of the most common articles in the English language. I'm surprised they got it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they go after uh to protect it because they do protect their trademarks you're listening to today in ohio one of the most jarring moments from the riot outside the downtown justice center in cleveland after george floyd was murdered was a law enforcement officer shooting a beanbag at a guy who was walking down the street not being aggressive it cost him his eye turns out someone else has a grievance against the same officer from that day courtney what is it yeah, so we learned that uh, Connor O'Boyle, he's filed a lawsuit that's now in federal court, potentially accusing the, the same deputy who shot that John Sanders um, young man in the eye, he's accusing the same deputy of shooting him in the back of the head. Now, O'Boyle, in his lawsuit, says he was passing out water during the May 30th protests. He'd gone up and handed water to a demonstrator who had been hit by a tear gas canister. Then O'Boyle said he put his hands up, was walking away, and then he felt a, a, a beanbag hit him in the back of his head. And his lawsuit names the county executive, the former sheriff, and Deputy Bruce Laurie here. And and, and Laurie's the same one who, who allegedly had shot John Sanders. And but, but but it seems like there is maybe a little question of who exactly the deputy was that shot O'Boyle. So his his lawyer had told us that that they believe it was Lori, but they're still trying to pin down specifics. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm that was one of when you watch the video of the first guy getting hit. I mean he he's just walking down the street. It seems like the police were firing just haphazardly. Uh, and I'm surprised that this far down the road, this really hasn't been resolved. You're right. There, there's still a question who did it, even though there's some video that makes pretty clear who did it. 
uh, and you, you keep waiting for this to be resolved. I mean, the, the, the person who did it should be charged with a crime. It, it, it is a, a violent attack on somebody who did not have it coming, and we have yet to see that happen. Yeah, and, and you talk about things are still pending and waiting on resolution here. So, Lori, this deputy, is the subject of a special criminal investigation by a special prosecutor in Geauga County. That prosecutor told us, you know, yesterday that that, that investigation's ongoing. He's trying to get a date together to present the case to a grand jury. Meanwhile, internally at Cuyahoga County, Lori is still a deputy, um, and county spokesperson is refusing to say whether he's been disciplined and if there's any internal investigations underway. So not a lot's resolved here. Yeah, yeah. So that Civil cases might be where it all gets resolved. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles put in some self-serve kiosks for car registrations and the like during the pandemic. Laura, how much are people using them? A lot. I mean, the Ohio BMV is trying to cut back on lines in the traditional BMV offices and do something about what we all complain about, which is how long it takes to get stuff done there. So you can renew and print vehicle registrations and license plate stickers at kiosks across Ohio. The program's grown from 9 to 18 kiosks since October. They're averaging 1,500 transactions a, re- a week. Is there any kind of verification they do to avoid uh, ID theft? That's a really good question. Right now, it's not like you can get a new license from the kiosk. You ha- you can get a sticker for your vehicle, you know, the ones that you have to do every year. And they're at the Meyer stores um, in Northeast Ohio. One's at the e-check in Westlake, which my husband recently used. We had to get our cars e-checked, and then he came home with the sticker. And I was like, wait, you didn't have to, like, go online and fill that out now, which I thought was so cool. But I'm sure there's some kind of... Um, check but right now it's not like you can go up and just like get a driver's license really so when he did e-check as soon as he passed it he could just go to the kiosk and get yeah. a sticker wow. i didn't even know it was there because i had to e-check our other car and uh i i didn't get it all done in one place so yeah you got to pay a 495 service fee but you have to pay that if you go to the bmv anyway so the company that makes these kiosks intellectual technology makes their money that way and um you got to think that's i mean the bmv has been kind of innovative in the last couple years they do an online check-in system now there's a lot more you can do online and now kiosks so yeah hopefully nobody's standing in line too long at the bmv all right you're listening to today in ohio the corrupt former Cuyahoga County Commissioner Jimmy DeMora was resentenced earlier this month after getting a couple of counts dropped from his corruption charges from years ago. We now know how happy he is about the new sentence. Lisa, what's the word? He is not happy at all. And as a matter of fact, um, his lawyers earlier this week say they intend to appeal the new 23-year prison sentence that was given June 8th by U.S. District Judge Sarah Leoy. She cut eight years from the original sentence after the Supreme Court of the United States and other courts changed the scope of bribery laws. So they were able to knock a couple of counts off of his case. But now his appeal for an even smaller sentence goes 
goes to the sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Demora obviously wanted a bigger rejection or re- rejection reduction, rather. He said that comparable cases of public corruption got about a 12-year sentence on average, so he figures he should be among that. His attorney Philip Kushner says also Demora's failing health should be considered. Uh, so right now he's due to be released in 2031 from a medical prison unit in Massachusetts. But yeah, he I think he just wants out, quite frankly. I, you know, but uh, yeah, because he's already served a few years. So there you have it. Yeah, although we talked about it when he was resentenced. It, it, he All he had to do was say, I'm sorry, and he probably would have had a much shorter sentence. Judge Leoy values repentance. She values people taking responsibility for their crimes, and he refuses to do that. And so he didn't get the shorter sentence. It's odd that he's doing all this legal maneuvering when two words would probably have him a free guy right now. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, it's just it's 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 amazing to me how stubbornness can can have people damage their futures well and i think you know when he's complaining that oh everyone else got about 12 years average well you got almost twice that so maybe you should think on why you got sentenced so harshly well he was the kingpin he and frank russo were the kingpins of this frank russo showed contrition in the end and ended up with a shorter sentence look he had he had his out he he was getting resentenced if he would have and his lawyers had gone in and said yes uh, during all these years, Jimmy DeMora has recognized what he did was terrible and harmed the people of Cuyahoga County. I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, my bet is he'd be out. But, uh, you know, Leoy sentenced him within the guidelines. I don't see how an appeal is going to change that. His refusal to accept responsibility for the grave, grave harm he's done to this county is why he's still sitting in his orange jumpsuit. You're listening to Today in Ohio. June 4th, 1967 saw an historic event involving major sports figures in Cleveland. And now we have a monument to memorialize it. Courtney, what was the event? Why is it so significant? Yeah, this is really cool. I will say I'm not a sports person. I didn't know about it until I read this story and I'm kind of blown away. So on Friday, there was a ceremony you know, marking a a, a new monument on Euclid Avenue going towards East towards University Circle to this so-called Cleveland Summit in the summer of 67. And it was held at what's now the American Cancer Society building. And and Cleveland Brown's running back, Jim Brown, was kind of the driver behind this meetup of a dozen athletes and statesmen. Statesmen, you know, former Cleveland Mayor Carl Stokes was there. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was there. And what it was, was it was a gathering with Muhammad Ali. The group heard about Ali's conscientious, conscientious objections to participating in the Vietnam War. There was this, this big conversation hearing Ali's thoughts. And, you know, what it amounted to was a public showing of support by, by this group of, of big-name guys Um you know, it provided fuel for the social justice movement. They and they were there, giving Ali his due and and understanding why he was protesting the Vietnam War. And so this monument kind of marks this really cool moment in Cleveland and civil rights and national history. And you know, there's a um, a small piece of the monuments up now. The rest is going up in fall, but it's kind of cool. 
every few years somebody from the national media does a story that reminds people that this happened and it's one of those big moments in Cleveland history there are so many unfortunately a reader pointed out after looking at the picture they misspelled Bill Russell's name on the monument Oops. Uh, and the reader was oh. wondering are they going to fix that I imagine they will yeah hopefully that gets ironed out yeah. um, you know the, the ceremony on Friday was full of a lot of, of local folks commemorating it I think Mayor Justin Bibb was there the great niece of Carl Stokes Alex Stokes spoke out it was a nice Cleveland moment all right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That does it for Thursday. Friday, we wrap up the week of news. Please come back. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast.